Hi, Hannah. Hey, Evan. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question for you. Well, oh, we're okay. Yes. I'm nervous. <laughs> What's the question? <laughs> Just get it. What is it? Are we ever going to finish Questlandia 2? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> and it feels like an appropriate question to ask given the original brief of this podcast. I'm surprised we actually don't get this question more often from people who have stuck with us this long. People are being very patient. They're being extremely patient. Uh, it's possible that people who have joined the podcast over the last four and a half years, maybe, <laughs> have no idea what Questlandia 2 even is. That's true. They may not even know the original, the original brief. So we wanted to record an anniversary episode because we realized that we launched Design Doc in October, six years ago, <laughs> if you can yep. believe it, uh, six years ago. Oh, my gosh. And when we launched our rough idea, I don't know that it was a promise exactly, but our idea was that we would be showing the process of making a role-playing game from start to finish, that role-playing game being Questlandia 2. Questlandia 2, for those of you who have never heard of this. <laughs> and uh, it was going to take like a year. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't re-listened to the first episode, but the, the main thing that I remember about the first episode is that you said something about it being the war and peace of role-playing games, and I don't remember why you said that, but it's like stuck with me all of these years. And also that we said... Like, oh, and we'll, like, track our progress over the course of a year. <laughs> it's, it's sounding, in retrospect, a little foolish to compare it to a great famous <laughs> work of literature. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like sometimes I, I think it was fair of us to assume that there was a template there. Like, Tolstoy wrote War and Peace. Tol Tolstoy walked so we could run. <laughs> 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 and we've just been also walking maybe something closer to a crawl but i don't want to say that also because that would imply that we haven't been doing anything else or following the brief at all or that i, I mean it also implies <laughs> that we've been moving at all well <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean well so this is i let's let's get into it Let's talk about, should we start by talking about, what What should we start by talking about? <laughs> well, let's talk about what Questlandia 2 was as we imagined it. Questlandia 1 was our first ever role-playing game. Six years ago, we wanted to expand on it. Questlandia 1 was a one-off game about one world that you would make up at the table that was in trouble and... Over the course of one or two sessions, that society would decline, and you'd sort of find out its future. That's a pretty good, concise description. We're, we're constantly rewriting the concise <laughs> yeah. description of Questlandia. Yeah, and sometimes we hit on a really good one, but it's always in this type of context. So maybe if it's good, when I listen back, I'll try to remember it. 
Queslandia 2, the thought was, we're going to make a a sort of meta game that connects multiple Questlandia worlds where you're traveling between them and there's a story that that takes place in between them. Metagame is a weird word to me because to me, meta always implies, it implies something smaller. Oh, really? But I guess that's not actually. I mean, for, it's weird for me too, but because it implies something that's sort of more self-aware. Yeah, yeah. Maybe metagame is the wrong word, but like we had made this game that was a one-shot game that took like six hours to play. I think most people didn't finish playing a session or ended a little angry. <laughs> I don't know. I can't be in people's shoes. You know, I guess role-playing games take a long time, but it took a long time and was a big time commitment. And our idea was like, we've created parts that we really like. Let's expand it out or make it so it's okay to break it into multiple sessions and then have a way to tie all of your worlds together. Right. Every time you play a Questlandia game, it's part of a bigger story. That was the rough idea. And we went through a lot of variations about what is that larger story? Who are the people traveling between worlds? Uh, what's different about the worlds themselves? How short or long a stay can you make in any given world? And we made multiple drafts. We got to the point where we were bringing this game to be playtested at conventions. Wow. Really? Yeah. I guess you're right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. I totally forgot. I forgot. So that's, we were, we were, we were doing it. We were doing something. You made this beautiful symbol reader. I think that's still one of the best things to come out of some of those early drafts of Q2 was this symbol reader that you made kind of inspired by the golden compass alethiometer. That's just so cool. It's so beautiful. I love it. I feel like, well, I hope I hope it can manifest in a game someday. That game may be being Questlandia too. I remember at a certain point, we had this idea of like moon cycles, sort of governing the time that you stay in a world. And based on the phase of the moon, you'd have more or less ability to influence the world. And only at like a, a new moon would you have the opportunity to jump to a different world. So yeah. you could choose then to stay or depart. That still gets my imagination going. I still like that. I love the moon cycles. I love the symbol reader. I love some of the ideas that we played around with over the years of like um, that the game is played with a, a three ring leather bound binder that you put papers in and it kind of like this story that you've told expands uh, in this way as you sort of collect artifacts from your journeys. And I think that from the beginning, I've imagined Questlandia 2 as this like this beautiful, shiny bubble that encases Questlandia 1, the first Questlandia. Yeah. But a lot of those ideas are really abstract. Like they're abstract and like when you're talking about moons and symbol readers, like these are like they're like spiritually abstract. Yeah, And I feel like it's been one of the reasons that it's been so hard to make this game and conceptualize the game is that these ideas are like really elegant in their abstraction and so hard to then turn into something real. 
But it's not like that's been the only thing keeping us back. <laughs> I would say the number one reason that Questlandia 2 has not been made is because it's ambitious. Like, not only is it just a bigger game, a campaign game that's meant to accommodate vastly different settings that you hop between, that's meant to be physically and aesthetically beautiful. Maybe that is all the reasons that it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we've seen it as like a sort of culmination of all our skills, like our revisiting of the original game with all the best of our various experience and yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've also really hoped for a big like response which I guess is normal for any project. But for this one in particular, we were talking about ideas of having like a collective library of worlds that have been explored where everybody who's playing is sort of like uploading those to a database and, you know, making a sort of community aspect of it. We had this hope that by making a, uh, a campaign structure around the individual worlds, we would also give people a shared experience of the game. So it's not just completely different worlds, but instead everybody can talk about this central story with each other. And there's sort of more to discuss about the game. Yeah. And that it's not to say that something like that can't be effective and work with a really small number of players, but we've always had a, we've, We've never been able to scale our games to a huge audience, with one exception uh, that almost broke us. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, it's a really cool, it's such a cool idea. And also one of those things where it's it's like, it's a commitment at the same level of like, you know, when these uh, tech companies come out to try to start a new social media platform and right. then realize that the the community that they imagined that was just going to glom onto their new brilliant way of resharing dudes like doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean I think it's I think it's really ambitious and also there's there's been practical stuff too. And we, you know, when we were writing down notes for this episode and well, first we were surprised to see that we launched in 2017, which was a long time ago. And so we had to go and like put the timeline together a little bit. We we're like, right. what, what has happened? What's been going on? And I, I kind of want to go through some of that stuff. I mean, I don't want the episode to just be like, let's, <laughs> let's follow like a linear thread. And that also will become an excuse of why Questlandia 2 hasn't happened. Because also like at the end of the day, what Design Doc has become is a podcast about trying to make a, a living or try to, trying to just be people putting things out into the world creatively. Right. And that's been, that's hard work. There have been some times that we've almost given up or needed to abandon it. I mean, both yeah. of us, it's like, you know, it is, it is emotionally and socially and financially a lot of work and difficult. And we've, during the course of this project, we've crossed from our twenties into our thirties and life has changed so I feel like we can we can go through this timeline and I kind of want to because also it's fun to be like, remember that? Remember yeah. this? I forgot that. Um, and also it has to feel good for us. 
right. this has to be the project that that we still want to make tomorrow and a week from now. And sometimes that changes. And uh, I feel really glad that for the most part, nobody has really come and expressed like a disappointment or a sense of like abandonment. So, uh, you know, if anybody's feeling that, thanks for not putting that on me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe people have a good instinct that like there were a few years where we were barely keeping it together. So <laughs> good job not saying it out loud. So the first episode of Design Doc came out shortly after we had kickstarted Damn the Man, Save the Music, our third role-playing game. But before we had delivered it. Oh, not well, technically not third if you count uh, 14 days. Oh, yeah. I yeah. should count yeah. that. All right. It's out of print, but still counts. We yeah. made it. It's a little wild thinking about that because we were not just in the middle of making Damn the Man, Save the Music. We were also gearing up for a board game Kickstarter. Yeah. God, when I think about our early timeline, so, you know, you and I started to make games in uh, 2013. I think maybe Questlandia was kickstarted in either, tw maybe it was 2014. Uh -huh. And then we have like, we were just doing a game a year. Right. And a major, like, I think major games a year. Yeah. It was like Questlandia, immediately followed by Noirlandia, 14 Days, Damn the Man, Save the Music. At some point, we, you and I reorganized into this three-person co-op with uh -huh. our former coworker Brian, as, you know, Make Big Things became this cooperative. And we all had this idea that we were going to sort of pass games, like, one person would be a design lead. Right. On a game, there were just like some bigger considerations with board games in terms of like time and trying to hit holidays. And we we were getting like really crunched in our timeline of right. having to launch Good Dog, Bad Zombie and uh, Damn the Man hadn't, hadn't shipped yet. And it's it's just wild to me to think that we were also starting this podcast at the same time because I think about both of those things as like really big things. Also, I'm pretty sure I had a job then. How did it all fit into the schedule? <laughs> I wonder if those first episodes reflect the the time crunches we were in. I don't know. We were probably still like, we can only show that we are happy. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, that fell away pretty fast. No, don't. All right. All right. We got that. Let's not get negative. Oh, I just mean, we, we just became more open. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I think, you know, maybe in the beginning, I, I don't know how far, how quickly it fell away. But there was a certain point, you know, where I thought that everything we had to say was like, hey, 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 heroes, we're using our podcast voice. Today, we're going to be talking about role-playing games. Is that a podcast? That's like a podcast voice, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, you know. We've given up completely on that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's so it's wild for me to think about because then we were at the tail end of Damn the Man, which was a Kickstarter that in my memory, I remember it underperforming a little bit based on what I'd wanted, because I think that maybe New Orlandia had made like twenty four thousand dollars or something. And just yeah. in my mind, it was like everything would be OK as long as we were doing like marginal marginal scales above the previous kickstarter right so i think i was like looking at other kickstarters that were funding at the time norlandia had made 
$24,000. And I was like, all right, so damn the man, I'll be thrilled if it makes $30,000, right. $28,000. And I think it made maybe like 21. Yeah. It I, came, I think it, it just little, cracked 20 A little smaller. Uh, which honestly, now, if we did a Kickstarter now, I would be, I'd be thrilled again with, with 20K. Yeah. <laughs> with sort of the state of where like social media is now and where just crowdfunding is now. I'm like, that actually feels really reasonable. I mean, uh, I think our reach was still increasing, not to get too much into it, but yeah, you yeah, know, sorry, I but... think like Norlandia captured a tiny portion of the people who like the genre. And then Damn the Man <laughs> captured a huge proportion of people who are into the teenage record store scene. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you're totally right. It's such a niche game. So in terms of like it being successful at its scale, I think it it definitely succeeded. Yeah. Uh, and it's still a game that I'm proud of. And so that collided with Good Dog, Bad Zombie, which was a board game that we made Printed in the United States, hand assembled by a worker owned co op uh, out in California. And it made $175,000. And it was, okay, <laughs> do people remember? I wonder how many people have been listening. I just can't believe we've been doing this podcast through the entire Good Dog, Bad Zombie. I mean, that was a, obviously a ton of money for us. Uh, Amazingly, most of it just went right back into the project. I mean, it was so expensive yeah. to produce. And one of the things that we had promised as part of the Kickstarter, and, uh, you know, I won't say who said back in the day, oh, guys, I think maybe this is a bad idea. I won't say the person's name. Was but whoever that was was really <laughs> on the ball. So uh, we had had this like we had so <laughs> ah we had had this reward and this is the reward that made this project a hundred and seventy five thousand dollar project. We had this reward that was like you know for X amount of money. I think maybe it was seventy five dollars. You'll get the game. You'll get the expansions. And for what would amount to basically twenty dollars, twenty five dollars extra, you can submit a picture of your dog and a little brief about your dog, and you will get a custom card of your dog that you can play in this game right. about dogs saving humans from the zombie apocalypse. We had an, like an early disagreement about this, and I don't totally disagree with you, but you had said like, you know, when we're talking about economies of scale, yeah, if we have to design a system, like a complicated system for processing people's custom dog submissions, we just design a good system. And then right. that system can scale to accommodate however many people submit and we'll just get it done. Right. So I remember having this anxiety and, you know, that's pretty normal for me. So also like it's pretty reasonable to argue against my naysayness because it's just always there. <laughs> like it's, I can sometimes use a pep talk, but my thing was we've never done this before. So we just don't know like we don't know what it will look like to scale a system we've never used. Like there there could be just variables that we're not anticipating. Uh, so maybe let's cap this at uh, at 50 or 100 or 10 and, yeah. and take the loss of whatever money we're going to lose. But just know that whatever number we've picked, if everything goes wrong, we can still get those done. And uh, everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. It was real bad. 
I know that this isn't what this episode is about. God, we've talked about this so much, but I feel like I just, I want to take a little walk down memory lane if you're up for it, because it was such a huge part of our lives for so long. Yeah, it dragged on for like a full extra year after the game was done. Oh, oh, almost At two, least. I think. God. Uh, because also, towards the tail end of it, we hit a global pandemic. Right. <laughs> Which that, I'm not going to be held accountable for that part. That's That was not my no, mistake. No, it's, it's true. But I think that I still, <laughs> I think I feel more like uh, firm in my belief than ever that like you have to account for the unaccountable. Yeah. And that, you know, had we lived in the world where we're like, we're making 10 dogs, uh, they they would have gotten done, global pandemic or not. Oh, and they did. I mean, I guess I should say they did all get done. And I think by the time we finished, we had shipped, oh, Evan, what was it, like 1,200 custom dogs? It was something like that, yeah. Oh, my Lord. And, you know, in retrospect, an interesting thing about those dogs is that there was like a sort of panic moment where it was like, oh God, there's so many of these. If I'm going to be doing these myself, it's going to take months. And so we made a decision to work with an outside company. Yeah, I think it's the only time we've ever worked with an outside company. Uh, to help lay these out. And that was... Such a mistake. It, it it was just awful. I think we had to redo just every single one. It, after pretty much months of back and forth and like requests for revisions and detailed notes, at the end, we were still delivered a unusable pile of custom dogs that had to be redone by hand. And so if we had skipped that <laughs> whole process, we would have saved all that money, all that time. But it was just sort of like a... We're, it was like intimidation. Can, can I say my favorite? This is this is the the dog in my mind. I don't remember the dog's name, but this is to me the dog that uh, like exemplifies the challenges of this project. So, you know, we when we worked with this outside company, what we were doing with the dogs is Evan had done a bunch of custom backgrounds. Like you made art where right. the dog would be like in a field or in a cityscape and Based on sort of the position of the dog, like in the picture people submitted, is the dog laying? Is it standing? Is it running? That it was sort of a separate, a different camera angle for the different art you created. That's right. It was meant to accommodate. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that that part. So we had to, you know, instruct this company of like, okay, for this, you know, top down, you use the city. For the field, you use the jumping dogs. Uh and then we included instructions for going into Photoshop and how to like remove the dogs from the background images. Pretty simple, but is it simple? So what <laughs> happens then if the dog has a toy? What happens if there's a person's hand on its head? Uh, so every one of these pictures was a different different resolution. Some of them were like photos of dogs that had long since passed that then somebody took a photo of the photo on their iPhone, yep. then sent us a screenshot that where <laughs> then we had to sort of cut it out of like, you know, the rest of their like personal information on their iPhone background. Um, it was the kind of thing where like there was this pretty replicable process for the best photos, right. like dogs that were on a clear background, people who sort of understood the quality of photo that we needed 
the type of lighting, you know, the fact that like we can't do, we're not going to doodle in the dog's eyes if there's camera flash. <laughs> my, my favorite picture, and again, like no, no slight to the people who paid this money to like love their dogs and honor their dogs in this game, but uh, very challenging. <laughs> and it's so you had the care and connection to this project where if you get a picture, and I'll, t I'll talk about this dog in a minute because I love this dog. Like you had the care where if you get a picture and it's difficult to work with, you reach out to the people, ask them if they have a different photo, or you know to give it a different treatment. Right. This company did not give a fuck. An nope. F, a, a, fl a flippin' fl flim flam. And so we just got every single dog back with the same treatment and yep. making the majority of them unusable. <laughs> my favorite dog and you did reach out to the people eventually was a photo maybe from the 80s totally blurry like maybe the dog was in a closet or something so dark background dark dog the dark the dog just looked like a floating orb and it was fully <laughs> camera flash so its eyes were just yellow like it just looked like a like a furry potato with two yellow eyes <laughs> <laughs> and you know when we were going through the this company's uh, edits and stuff we were like oh that's really rough you know let's look at the original photo and we looked at the original photo and we were like that's really rough and the thing is i mean we oh god i mean in the world where we were able to do 10 of these a day or something which was more than we could do because it require everyone required like we were still talking about 1200 dogs. Yep. And you know, that's not counting for the communications for a very clear form that we filled had people filled out where we'd say, you know, name of dog and then we'd go and use um like a a data I can't remember what it's called when you just do sort of the data flow from a spreadsheet into uh -huh. InDesign, which yeah. we learned how to do. And it would flow in and it would be like name of dog. And it would be like, her name is Chrissy. We love her very much. We bought her at a shelter in 20... <laughs> <laughs> no, again, like totally understandable. Um, but I'm sorry. I'm having trouble finishing about this dog. I just remember looking at the original photo and we were like, there's this there's nothing salvageable about this photo. And we ended up reaching out to the people and proposing to sort of make their dog like, you know, wizard of the night or something. Or like, oh, yeah. And they were really into it. They they understood. And you ended up sort of drawing these like little kind of wizard swirls in the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it was ended up being like fluffy cosmic being of the ether. Uh, and they were so into it. But like, you take a custom communication like that and multiply it by hundreds and uh, you get a project that takes two years to complete. Sorry, this wasn't supposed to be an episode about- I know, just get us started. <laughs> I'm sorry, right? I forgot about all of the like <laughs> stress around this project. So, you know, that left us pretty burnt out uh, and also like burned on the idea of Kickstarter success because the dream of hitting it big with a big project, uh, suddenly didn't seem so appealing when it had been three years of, well, I, you know, I'll say two years of a nightmare. The first yeah. year was okay. Yeah, yeah, two years. And um, I mean, amazingly, we shipped the base game on time. But yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad because there's so much that I loved about that project, but the workflow was not good. So after Good Dog, Bad Zombie, we spent some time in a pandemic and we restructured 
the whole business. We became Turtle Bun. And we were like, let's do small things. <laughs> let's do little things. Let's not do big things. You know, we were scrolling back through the Design Doc episodes, and I noticed that we only released four episodes in 2020, uh, which is, you know, I think just uh, an indication of how exhausted we were and how just difficult the world was at the time. Um, yeah. Four kind of hard to get out episodes and, you know, an entire year. Part of the idea of releasing Questlandia 2 and doing it right was that we would be going to conventions and building an audience and hype and you know, also getting all the playtests and like developing the game as part of the role-playing game enthusiast community because that's who we'd be appealing to to buy the game eventually. Between the pandemic canceling all the conventions and our burnout just making us not in a mood to do a big hustle regardless, Questlandia, which had been on the back burner because we had to get out this board game, got to like a back back burner. It really got set aside as something we could not look directly into at the moment. And concurrently, the original Questlandia sold out. Right. And then we embarked on our, our project, our recovery project which was going to just be a zine. Yeah, just a little zine. Just a little zine. <laughs> just sort of musing, like text-heavy. Like yeah. Just... This little zine turned into a largish project about living life as a golem. It became sort of a graphic novel. But it was a wonderful change of pace. Also, I think... I was just I was just reflecting because as you were you were talking about the zine, I was like, where did the idea for mud come from? And then I remembered that uh, it came from this week of just exhausting Twitter discourse about uh, golems and about the use of golems in uh, role playing games and like fantasy media. And I'm fairly certain this discourse was mostly led by non Jewish people who were like, I learned that you cannot use golems in role playing games, and that golems are very important to the Jewish people. And I was so exhausted by social media at this point. Uh, <laughs> I was like, as a Jewish person, I don't think I've ever thought of a golem once in my life. And it's not to say that people shouldn't still be like sensitive to their their origins, but it was like it was like golems became the name of like the just the topic of the week. And I was like, if we want to talk about things that are like culturally important to Jewish people, like let's talk about bagels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like don't fuck around with bagels. Golems, I like maybe and again, this is gonna be different for different people. But um, I felt so annoyed and also was like, oh, go golems. Yeah, they're interesting. <laughs> and so I started to tool around with the idea then of making something uh, about, a, about a golem. And a mud, a golem memoir, memoir was born. And it was the first and last game that would have ever been born out of Twitter discourse because uh, I'm no longer on Twitter and feel uh, very I'm sorry, better. What, what's Twitter? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
<laughs> is that some old site? I'm not even saying the name. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel like a bit of old Hannah is coming up in this episode, but it's it's kind of weird to take a walk down memory lane and just also like think about. It feels it feels weird to think about a project that ended up being so personal and and like as personal as mud and a project that's meant something to a lot of people. And I think I feel a little embarrassed being like, God, that came out of a world where I was still drawn into the nastiness of Twitter. I don't want to sound no, like I think I'm better, that, like I've somehow escaped. I think that's a transformation of the nastiness. If you <laughs> turned it into a personal, soulful yeah. piece of fiction. Yeah. Um, which. You know, looking back on it now, it really was a narrative work, uh, only a game in a experimental sense, which reflected a sort of change in our interests that we've continued because now we've started writing an actual novel. Yeah. I mean, Mud took a lot longer than we'd expected, and the end project was a, was a compromise. Because we were like, we've kickstarted this 10 or $12 zine that has essentially blossomed out into a graphic novel. And now we have to really put some restraints on it because we we did not crowdfund scope-wise or financially a graphic novel. Right. Uh, so we, we have to like make it what it's turning into be while also just making sure we keep it. <laughs> keep it short. Keep it keep short. It yeah. So it's what what ended up. What we ended up making was a little bit of a compromise, but I think we're both happy with it. Yeah. So that brings us to the present, where the major project on our plate currently is writing a novel. And the question is, where does Questlandia 2 fit into that or into, you know, the future from here? I guess I could just ask again. Are we ever going to finish Questlandia 2? I know. I, I think it is fair to... I don't think we should get through this episode without answering the question. So what's your honest answer to that? And then I'll give mine. Uh, my honest answer today is... Oh, I mean, I can't say <laughs> yes. Um, my honest answer is that I would like to. I think it's going to take a different form than a, than some of the briefs that we've said. I think... You know, it started out as something that we imagined as our largest and most ambitious role-playing game project to date. I think in some ways it's going to end up taking the form of our smallest and most, like, paced out. I mean, over the years as it's changed and, like, the world has changed, I've started to imagine Questlandia 2 as, like, little attachments that we can slowly stick on to the original Questlandia to build out the game where, you know, we, we've released the symbol reader and that adds something and we release the moon cycles and that adds something that has a lot of appeal to me just in terms of like the scale and pace of things that I'm thinking about in my own life. You know, Kickstarter has changed the way that we communicate on social media has changed. And uh, like my priorities for my own life has have changed and i there's a lot of appeal to like keeping the the beauty of these individual element elements that i like without trying to like 
break break records or do the $100,000 Kickstarter that I think we were maybe both secretly imagining in our minds. Is that an answer? Did I dodge? I think that's a real answer. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm not dodging. What's your answer? No. I respect that. I, I freaking res- respect that, Evan. <laughs> well, you know, nobody knows the future. But as I see it, I mean, literally in my field of view right now, we have a whiteboard upon which we have ideas for the creative projects we want to do. And there's like 30 projects on there. And they're at various levels of completion. But if we were going to rank them in terms of which ones would we be happy to dive into today, Questlandia 2 would be pretty far down that list. And that's a long enough list to fill an entire life. Oh, no, I know you're right. And a lot of those ideas on that list are really funny. And despite this, the tone of this episode bringing me into like a little bit of a reflective, borderline morose place, uh, I feel like we've been in our humor era. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like when I look at our, our design docs that we've recorded the past year, and it's like founder energy, talking about world building um, yeah, and fish people. fish people and then like you know some of this on the ground research stuff that we've been doing i mean i'm i want to be in the going to six flags every day part of part of my that's where i want to be sourcing inspiration from and i do feel like i'm sourcing a lot of inspiration from just like the the utterly absurd these days so I don't want to recant and say no, but I do look at that list and I'm like, oh, yeah, that game idea that we had called like the four regicidal daughters of some fantasy king. Like, I like that idea right now. Like, that speaks to me more. It's rough to imagine somebody listening who is invested and into the ideas of Questlandia to hearing the idea that it might never get made. Uh, it's rough to imagine because it's, it's a feeling I have too. Like there's a lot that I love about what we've come up with and discussed about what this game could be and the experience of it. Like I've absolutely fallen in love with parts of the design doc. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Bring it. There's the title. (laughs) Make sure you say the title. Six years to get there. Um, (laughs) But when I look at this list of games, there's a lot of things we've fallen in love with. There's a lot of wonderful ideas here. And I do feel like as long as we have any choice in the matter at all, the project we should take on should be something that is speaking to us as we are right now. That is like just matching the mood and spirit and energy that we are bringing into this time and this day and this place in our lives. And the ghosts wandering between ruined worlds, it's just not where we're at right now. We could get there. We could return and be like, that's exactly what's what feels right. Yeah. But that's not a, a shift in mood that I can anticipate or see happening. So I think my answer for today 
if I have to just say what feels right, is a no. Questlandia 2 right now isn't on the list. Not for like the next expanse <laughs> of time. Uh, I, I mean, I appreciate, I don't know. I think you're doing sort of a deeper check-in with yourself than I'm doing. I think my check-in is still really bound by this sense of uh fear of disappointing people but uh, it's been six years <laughs> right you know maybe they've gone through all the cycles of <laughs> <laughs> anticipating and feeling disappointment and accepting it so uh uh yeah yeah i'm feeling feeling like i want to be kind of lifted right now and it's not that questlandia 2 doesn't feel lifting but it does have this kind of like ethereal seriousness that um i in this moment i'm not bringing to our work like, I think the last project we floated uh, that we'd be working on on this podcast was Pie Girl. I'm still fucking down with Pine Girl. Pi Pine Girl. <laughs> I'm, I am still down with Pie Girl. I probably we shouldn't have announced it so soon, but that's the ADHD and I'm I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> In terms of creative inspiration, I feel at a high point. Like. I feel like there are so many ideas that I'm so eager to move forward on, so many things I want to make. And day after day, when we get together and do this work, I leave feeling like, oh, I just wish there were more hours in the day because I love what we're making and there's so much more I want to do. So it is not like with a defeated attitude that I look at Questlandia 2. I just look at it like... Like it's a, it's like a clothing style that isn't in line with my fashion sense <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Oh, but trends are cyclical. So that's right. How long is it? It's like forty years or something. I don't know. I I think sooner than that because I think velour sweatsuits are already back in, and like that was one that we you know we thought two thousand and one would forever leave behind. So anything is possible. The future is unwritten. <laughs> <laughs> Love of the Lord tracksuit. <laughs> Do you want to end this episode thinking about the future a little bit? Because uh, well, we're, you know, we're in what way? <laughs> we just looked over six years of history. What what do the next six years look like? Oh, that question makes me feel nauseous in my stomach. Um, it does have like a sort of high school guidance counselor vibe yeah i mean i don't know i feel like in my life right now i'm focused on stability and long-term planning you know this is mm -hmm. you things start to get a little bit more the the existential parts get a little more concrete when you're in your 30s now and you get to start to think about things like what's going to happen to my parents and I'm not going to cry because it's a design doc and we haven't cried in a long time on a design doc yeah. <laughs> um, but uh you know I feel I feel really good right now when I think about the future and it also is scary to think about making a future where I'm like checking in with myself and making things for me and not for the 
listeners that we're imagining exist for Design Doc or the role-playing game community where I'm trying to predict what they want. It's, um, It's scary, and I think we've accepted a loss in some ways, a loss of audience, a loss of like predictability, but I feel like I want to finish our novel. I feel really good about it. Finishing is just going to be such a huge thing in my life, even if it yeah. never finds an audience. And um, I don't know. I, I feel like our our compass of what we care about is 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 more north than it's ever been. And I I'm just going to keep I'm just going to keep following it through the next six years. <laughs> I love that answer. Can I use that answer? Yeah, you can take that answer. Can I yeah. take that one? Yeah. Do you want to just say ditto? Ditto. My friend. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks, everybody, for, like, sticking with us. If you've been here since the beginning, (laughs) cool. (laughs) That's so awesome. Thanks for traveling through life with us. Yeah, you are the ghost that has come with us to the different worlds of Questlandia. That's so good. What a good... You really tied it all together. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so thanks for being that. And do we have any other closing thoughts? I, I don't know. Or we'll see we you next time it? back at Six Flags. <laughs> the Design Doc intro-outro theme was written by our friend, Pat King. Thanks, Pat. The Design Doc Podcast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. One Shot hosts other great shows like Neo Scum. Neo Scum. Neo Scum. Neo Scum is a narrative comedy podcast featuring five Chicago improvisers antagonizing their way through the role-playing classic Shadowrun. It follows a group of misfits and outsiders. Z, the acerbic cyber troublemaker. Pox, the candy... Do- Oop, I, ca- I hit the mic. This one's always hard for me to get to. Through. Okay, we're doing it. Pox, the candy junkie klepto from across the pond. Tech wizard, the public access actor with a petulant thirst for adventure. And Dad Rambo. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, every time I remember the time that... We said Dark Rambo accidentally. Okay. <laughs> and that's so that's going to forever be in my head. All right. And Dak Rambo, the nastiest trucker this side of the Robo Mason Dixon, joined the irascible Neo Scum crew on a puerile rock and road trip through a weirdo world of tomorrow, doling out street justice to every deed they encounter, whether they deserve it or not. Is it really justice? We're not. Cr- if if no, you deserve not, it or we're not, not, we're not doing this. We're not critiquing or commenting on other people's blurbs. I just think the word Illegal. justice has a certain. <laughs> Thank you for listening, heroes. We'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Are we? Should we stop? <laughs> <laughs>